بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على أشرف الأنبياء والمرسلين نبينا محمد وعلى آله وأصحابه أجمعين أما بعد السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته اللهم انفعنا بما علمتنا وعلمنا ما ينفعنا وارزقنا علما تنفعنا به آمين رب العالمين الحمد لله ثم الحمد لله We continue tonight with our Lu'lu'ul Maknun lessons the cherished pearls of Sirah and continuing on from last week where we spoke about Al-Da'wa Al-Jahriyyah where in the phase of the Da'wa where Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam started to give Da'wa in the open as opposed to before that for three years Da'wa was given in, in secret so then Allah Azza wa Jal instructs him to give Da'wa in open and we spoke about the ayat that were revealed the first ayat that were revealed and the second ayat that were revealed after this and so forth and then we spoke about what happened with Sahabi, the Sahabi, Ibn Ummi Maktoum, the blind companion, radiallahu anhu, and what happened between him and Rasulullah, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and when Abasa wa Tawalla and so forth were revealed, right, those ayat. The author then moves on to another companion, which is the Islam of Abu Dhar, Abi Dhar al-Ghifari, a famous Sahabi, Abu Dhar, Abu Dhar al-Ghifari, his name is actually Jundub. Jundub ibn Junadah. Jundub, the son of Junadah. This is the name of the famous companion Abu Dhar al-Ghifari. His name is Jundub, the son of Junadah. And the reason the author mentions this specific incident is because there is a, a narration, a weak hadith, and it's also mentioned by Ibn Sa'd in his book, Tabaqat, that from the earliest of the Sahaba to accept Islam was Abu Dhar al-Ghifari. So the author wants to put this to basically clarify that this is not actually the case, that he accepted Islam sometime later. Only after the da'wah became jahriya and Islam started to spread did Abu Dhar accept Islam. But he was not of those who accepted Islam right in the beginning, of the, in, the, in the early days. So there is a hadith in Sahih Muslim as well as Bukhari, the two Sahihs that we will mention tonight inshallah that shows us the whole incident that happened with Abu Dhar al-Ghifari and then we'll show how this proves that he accepted Islam later on after the da'wah became spread and it was done out loud and in the open and not in secret. So the hadith in Muslim and also the Musnad of Imam Ahmad reads with Abu Dhar radiallahu anhu he says that he and his mother and his brother. His brother's name is Unais. Unais. So we have Anis, then you have Unais. Right? Unais is the small Anis in Arabic. Right? Uh, in terms of the, the scale, right? You get Anis and then you get Unais. So his brother's name was Unais. His brother's name was Unais. And they were about to leave and travel from the city. Where are they from? The place is called Ghifar. Ghifar. Hence he is known as Ghifari. He is from Ghifar. So they were about to leave and Unais says to him, I need to go to Mecca for, for a need, for some work. Wait a little bit, stay behind and wait for me to come back. So Abu Dhar says, he left and he took some time. It wasn't a quick journey as we expected, he took some time. And when he came back, I said to him, what, what, what kept you up? Why the delay? So Unais says, I met a man who claims that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent him as a prophet with his religion. Or he says to him, with your religion, that's upon your deen. To, to who? To Abu Dhar. So Abu Dhar says, what do the people say about him? And he says, they say he's a sha'ir, he's a poet. And that he's a sahir, a magician, and a kahin, which is a fortune teller. And Unais himself was a sha'ir, he himself was a poet. So Unais says, I have heard the speech of the fortune tellers, and I have heard what they say about him, or what he says. And I have heard, and I'm a, a person who's knowledgeable of, of shir, of poetry. And I have compared his speech to that of the, the, the best of the poets. 
and there is no harmony between them. They are not the same. Rather, I believe by Allah he is truthful. And they are lying about him. So Abu Dhar says, maybe you should remain behind now and I will go and travel. So I'm going to travel and I'm going to go to Mecca to meet him myself. So he says, that's fine. Now he agrees to this. But his brother says, be careful of the people of Mecca. Be careful of them because they do not like this man. They are very much annoyed with him and they are opposed to him. So Abu Dhar goes until he reaches Mecca and he says, I look for a, a weak, poor person from amongst them that I will speak to. And I said to this man, where is the man that they call As-Sabi? What does this word mean, this name? This was what they referred to him as. They called him the Sabi. What's the Sabi? We explained it last week. What does this, this title that they gave him, what does it mean? Sabi. It means someone who left their religion. Someone who left their religion. So he left the religion of the Quraysh. Hence they referred to him as As-Sabi. As-Sabi. So Anas says to this poor, oh, sorry, Abu Dhar says, where is the person that they call As-Sabi? Um, and said, so this man, basically this poor person directed him, you know, and he, as he started to look for As-Sabi, in the direction that he was sent, the people of Mecca attacked him. The people of Mecca attacked him and he says, with every bone, with every bow and every madara, which is like a, a hard piece of mud that they could find. So picture, you know, the desert becomes solidified, the ground. Some water goes over the sand, becomes solidified. They took these type of things and they, and they beat him until he fell down unconscious. So he says, I stood up whenever I stood up and as if I was a red idol. Ka'anni nusubun ahmar. As if I was a, a red idol. And what does this mean? What does this analogy mean? He was beaten to this extent. But in those days, they used to have idols and they used to slaughter animals for the idols. And what they used to do is, they would rub the blood of the animal over the idol. You know, as if this is for the, for the animal. For, sorry, for the, for, the, for the false gods, for the animals, for, for the idols. So he says, this is how I looked. I got up and I was drenched in blood as if I was a, one of the red, red idols. So I went to the Zamzam well and I drank from its water and I washed myself all of the blood off of this. And I remained for 30 days in this place where he was. And I had no food with me except this water of, of Zamzam. And he says, I became bulky. Sanimtu, meaning I became fat. fat. I, be, I picked up weight to the point where I got folds and rolls in my stomach. And I had no feeling of hunger at all. I never felt the pangs or that weakness that comes from a hungry person. I never experienced this ever. So and he carries on and he says, there was one night, the moon was full and extremely bright and illuminated. And the people of Makkah were fast asleep. They were fast asleep. And there were only two women who were making tawaf of the Kaaba. And these two women eventually approached him. And they were calling upon Isaf and Nailah. Isaf and Nailah were idols. These two women were invoking these idols, Isaf and Na'ilah. So Abu Dhar, he says to them, marry one with the other. Marry the two to each other, Isaf and Na'ilah. And he says, but they never stopped. They never took note of what I was saying, as if they tried to ignore me. And they never stopped from the invoking. And again they approached me and I said to them, insert some wood into the private parts of these idols. And he says, I was being very literal, not metaphorical. And they, these women, then left and they started to cry and they proclaimed and they said, if only one of our people was here with us. As if to say, if some of our men and people were here, they would have beaten him up. But they ran away crying and complaining about this man who is insulting their gods. They're idols. And these two women, as they go, who do they meet? 
descending from the mountain next to the Kaaba is Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam and Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radhiyallahu an. And they see these two women walking away and screaming and you know in a state and they say to them ma lakuma what's wrong with you what's happening why are you you know going on like this and they say there is a sabi the same what they say to about rasulullah there is a sabi standing by the kaaba and they say to this woman what is what did he say to you and this woman basically say there is nothing that we can say about how evil what he said what he said we cannot even basically describe so abu dharkar is narrating this hadith and he says rasulullah and his companion sallallahu alaihi wasallam he comes they come to the kaaba they kiss the hajar al aswad and they make tawaf and then they make salah and when they done with the salah i approach them and he says i was the first person to give him the greetings of islam and i said to him assalamu alayka ya rasulullah he says i'm the first one who uttered this type of greeting assalamu alayk assalamu alayka ya rasulullah so rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam says wa alayka assalam wa rahmatullah and then he said mimman ant from where are you they don't know him he's a believer he's greeting he acknowledges him as the messenger of allah where are you from he says i'm from ghifar I'm from Ghifar. And he says, the Prophet sallallahu dropped his hand and put his hand on his forehead. Something to this effect, he's saying that he did something with his hands. And Anas says, I was worried to myself that perhaps me saying I'm from Ghifar upset him. This is why he did this with his hand. And so Rasulullah sallallahu said to him, and since when have you been here? When did you arrive? And he said, I've been here for about 30 days. And then he said, so where have you been? Who's been? Who's been feeding you? And he says, I had no food for this entire 30 days except ma'u zamzam, the water of zamzam. And I just drank this water and what happened to me? I became fat. I developed rolls in my stomach. And I haven't felt the need or the, the feeling of hunger since. So Rasulullah sallallahu said, inna mubarakah. That water is mubarakah. It's blessed water. It's also ta'amu ta'min. It serves, it serves as a meal. That water is not just blessed. It also serves as, as food, as a meal. It's ta'am. As if to say you can live off it, it will suffice you. It can serve as a, as a meal. So Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu, he said, Ya Rasulullah, leave him to me. Let me feed him. Let me give him something at least to eat for tonight. And this is what they did. So Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and Abu Bakr and Abu Dhar they go and Abu Bakr gives him some food and some uh, raisins from Ta'if and this was the first food that he had eaten since he arrived in Mecca and then he spent some time there until Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said to him I have been shown a place that's full of palm trees and I think it can be nowhere else but Yathrib. Where is Yathrib? Yathrib is... Madina. Yathrib is the old name of Medina. Medina is the new name. Became the name Medina, but it used to be known as Yathrib. That's the name of Medina. So he says to him, perhaps you can be someone on behalf of your people that will, you know, proclaim this message. And Allah then will, of course... Uh, cause you to be of benefit to them and a reward for them. So Abu Dhar eventually he takes this as an instruction and he leaves. Until I get to my brother Unais. And Unais says, what, what happened? He says, what happened so and so? I accepted completely his message and I believe in him completely. So Unais says, I have no aversion to your religion. And he accepts Islam. And he believes in him, in the Prophet as well. The same with his mother. I have no aversion to you, my sons, and what you believe. And they, she accepts the, the message. And they go to their people in Ghifar. And half of them accept Islam. Half of the city accepts Islam. And their leader at the time was a man by the name of Ima ibn Rakhasa. Ima ibn Rakhasa, he was their leader. Until what happens is... The entire tribe of Ghifar 
comes to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam whilst he's in Medina. So hijrah then takes place. And one day they come to him in Medina after the Ghazwa of Badr and Uhud. And there is another tribe at, there at the same time called Aslam. Aslam is the tribe's name. And they all basically proclaim the Islam. This entire tribe of Ghifar and the tribe of Aslam, they accept Islam. And the Prophet says, Ghifarun ghafar Allahu laha. The people of Ghifar, Allah has forgiven them. And the people of Aslam, Salamaha Allah, Allah has protected them. And if you look at the Arabic, the words are related. Aslam and Salim. Salam, right? Allah has Aslam and Salam, you can hear the words are the same. Ghifar and Ghafar. Similar, right? So you use these words to say Allah has forgiven the people of Ghifar and Allah has protected the people of Aslam. That's the version in Sahih Muslim. That's the version in Sahih Muslim. The version in Sahih Bukhari is slightly different with some differences in it. It says, when Abu Dhar got to Mecca, um, oh sorry, yes, when Abu Dhar got there, he said to his brother, go to this, what? Abu Dhar, when the news of the Prophet reached him, he instructed his brother to go to Mecca, right? When he heard about the prophecy, he instructed his brother to go to Mecca. So his brother goes and he comes back and he gives him some information. He says to him, I saw him instructing the people with the best of akhlaq and his speech is not that of poetry. And that's basically what he said. So Abu Dhar says, that's not enough for me. What you brought me is not enough. It's not what I sent you for. I wanted more information. I'm going to go myself. He takes some provisions falls his water skin and he goes to Mecca until he reaches the masjid and he stays over in the masjid and nobody knows him he's a stranger at the same time he doesn't ask any questions he just sits in the, he stays in the masjid until Ali radiallahu anhu comes to him one day and Ali says to him Ali notices him and he leaves him and the next day Ali goes to him and he wakes him up from his place in the masjid that he's sleeping and he basically says to him have you not found a place to stay well, you know we noticed you in the masjid what's happening so he takes him with him and he doesn't ask him anything as well the next day the same thing happens he wakes him up he takes him with he gives him something to eat and then he asks him what's happening why are you here where are you from and so forth and Abu Dhabi basically says to him if you can give me a firm promise that you will guide me to the one that I'm looking for, then I will tell you. And he gives him his promise. And he asks him about Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So Ali says, he is the truth. He is true. He is the messenger of Allah. And when we reach the morning, I will take you to him. So the morning comes and he takes him to him and they get to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. He listens to him and he accepts Islam there and then. And the Prophet then says to him, go to your place, go back to your place, and you inform them about this deen, about me, until my instruction reaches you. That's the version in Bukhari. Much shorter and slight differences in terms of what happened in the masjid and he stayed in the masjid and so forth. The point here is, when did this happen? Was he of the first to accept Islam or did he accept Islam much later on? So what we learn from these ahadith is, first and foremost, if we look at the version in Bukhari, who helped him? Who took care of him? Who woke him up and took him with him? Ali radiallahu How old was Ali when he accepted Islam? How old was Ali when he accepted Islam? Ali radiallahu was 10 years old. So if this was the early days, could a 10-year-old have done this? 10-year-old goes to a random man in the masjid, wakes him up, says, look, come with me, I'll feed you, I'll take care of you. Next day, wakes him up, what is it that you need? This is unlikely. And this proves that this happened sometime later. A second evidence is that the Prophet ﷺ said to him about Yathrib, about Yathrib. I've been shown Yathrib, as if to tell him this is where we're going to go. 
And this happened years later. They only made the hijrah 13 years later. This is another evidence that this happened many years later. He was not of the first people to accept Islam. A third evidence is, Unais said to him, I met a man who claims that he is the messenger of Allah who was sent with your religion. Ala deenika. The, the deen that you are upon. Which means Abu Dhar had already accepted Islam before meeting Rasulullah which means the deen had spread. And it only spread later on, not in the early days. Those are three evidences that the author mentions to prove that Abu Dhar was not of the first people to accept Islam, but he accepted Islam much later on. It is a weak hadith which says, Abu Dhar says, I was the fourth person to accept Islam. The fourth one to accept Islam. Only three people accepted Islam before me. When I accepted Islam, I said, Assalamu alaikum ya Rasulullah, Ashadu an la ilaha illallah, wa ashadu anna Muhammadan abduhu wa rasuluh. But this hadith is weak. And if we compare it to the information found in the two sahih hadiths, we can also see why it's weak, because it contradicts the fact that he accepted Islam much later on, and he was not the fourth or the earliest of Sahaba to accept Islam, and Allah knows best. Sorry? He was a believer. Meaning? Meaning that, um, was he, did he believe in Islam? He said he was a believer. He was already Muslim. But this is the point. He had accepted Islam before meeting the Prophet oh, okay. So this proves that Islam had spread. Da'wah had been, had been moving out. People came to him with the message. And he already accepted the message. And then he heard the Prophet is in Mecca, his brothers met him and then he said, okay, I'm going to go meet him myself. You understand? So this proves that the fact that he was already a Muslim means he was not in the early, early guys that only accepted Islam in secret and so forth, which we mentioned a number of them a few weeks back, right? We mentioned a long list of names of the earliest ones to accept Islam. And Abu Dhar was not of them. And this is the, the evidence that basically shows that he was not of the early ones to accept Islam. Tayyib, the next topic or chapter is the methods that the Quraysh used to wage war against the Prophet and his da'wah. So when the Quraysh saw and realized that Rasulullah is continuing upon his way, nothing is turning him away, nothing is stopping him on his da'wah to Allah Azzawajal. They then sat down and they started to think deeper, what are we going to do? Remember he had his uncle, Abu Talib is alive. And Abu Talib is of the heads of the Quraysh. And he is the one who is protecting the Prophet He is making it his duty to make sure no harm reaches his nephew. So out of respect to Abu Talib, nobody is willing to touch Rasulullah So now they have to think of other ways. What are we going to do? And so they take a few, you know, ideas and, and, and methods that they took to try to suppress this da'wah, to try to destroy his da'wah. The first thing that they would do is they invented many shubuhat, many misconceptions, many lies basically about the Qur'an and where the Qur'an had come from, the source of the Qur'an. So what would they say? What was it that they would say? They made up many things and they would, this is what they would tell the people. So they would say, إِنَّمَا يُعَلِّمُهُ بَشَرْ In one ayah in Surah Nahl, Allah says, this is what they said, it was only taught by a man. This was only taught by another man. It's not from something that is revelation from Allah. They also would say, وَقَالُوا أَسَاطِيرُ الْأَوَّلِينَ اكْتَتَبَهَا فَهِيَ تُمْلَى عَلَيْهِ بُكْرَةً وَأَصِيلًا They would say, that this Qur'an is only ancient fables. It's stories of the past. It's the fables that came from the people of the past. That was written down and then rehearsed to him morning and evening. This is what it is. So whenever he gets this wahi and so forth, it's just rehearsal. That's it. It's not actually wahi. So it's only ancient fables. Now remember this word, asatir. Asatir is fables. In another verse they would say, In Hada illa ifkuniftarahu wa aanahu alayhi kawun akharun. It's only a fabrication. 
The Quran is a fabrication which he made up with the help of others. He wasn't by himself. He made it up and others have been assisting him. There have been people helping him. And then they also said about Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, مَا لِهَذَا الرَّسُولِ يَأْكُلُ الطَّعَامَ وَيَمْشِي فِي الْأَسْوَاقِ What kind of messenger is this that eats food and he walks around in the marketplace to belittle him? You know, as a way of mocking him. He's eating food, he's walking around in the marketplace and he claims to have wahi. Rather, he's just a, he's just fooling around. He's made this up. This is the, the fables of the people of the past. He's written this down. He rehearses it morning and evening. And it's just a fabrication that he made up with the help of others. These are some of the ayat and things that Allah mentions about what they used to say about the Quran specifically. Um, Ibn Ishaq in his book, he says that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, whenever he would sit near to Marwa, there was a, a, a boy there, and a Christian boy whose name was Jabr. There was a Christian boy whose name was Jabr. And he was the slave of Ibn al-Hadrami. Ibn al-Hadrami. He was a slave boy. A Christian slave boy. The Quraysh would say that whenever they would see the Prophet ﷺ sitting near this boy, near Marwa, they would say, whatever the Prophet ﷺ comes with, he gets it from who? From Jabr. From this boy Jabr, the Christian boy. And so what happened? Allah revealed ayat. Allah revealed ayat when they made this claim. Allah revealed and He said, وَلَقَدْ نَعْلَمُ أَنَّهُمْ يَقُولُونَ إِنَّمَا يُعَلِّمُهُ بَشَرٌ Allah said, indeed we know what they say. That they are saying that it has only been taught by, a, by another bashar, another person. Allah says He's aware of this. That this is their claim. That the Quran has only been taught by another person. But then Allah refutes them and He says, لِسَانُ الَّذِي يُلْحِدُونَ إِلَيْهِ أَعْجَمِي وَهَذَا لِسَانٌ عَرَبِيٌّ مُبِينٌ Look how silly they were. Allah says, the one that they are using, this boy Jabr, the one that they are using, that they are referring to, he speaks a foreign tongue. He was an A'jami. He wasn't an Arab. He's an A'jami, meaning he's a foreigner. He's not an Arab. وَهَذَا And this Quran is what? Lisanun Arabiyun Mubin. Clear, eloquent Arabic. Simple response. The, the, the claim they made was so absurd. The response is very, Allah says, We know what they're saying. It's taught by a man. But the one they're referring to is an A'jami. He's not even Arab. He doesn't even speak Arabic. And this Quran is in the most eloquent of Arabic. And they themselves knew. Many of you see the story of Unais. I heard it. It's not Shi'ar. It's not poetry. It's not fortune telling. We saw the story last week of who? Walid. Hmm? Walid ibn Mughira. When he listened to the Quran, he said it's the most sweetest of talk. It's graceful. It's copious at the bottom. It's nourishing at the top. It's always overcoming. It will never be overcome. Right? He said this. He, he knew this is the haqq. And he himself, what did he say to, to Abu? Abu Jahar. He said to Abu Jahar, I am the most knowledgeable when it comes to poetry. The writing, the composition, the reciting of poetry, nobody knows poetry better than me. Al-Walid ibn al-Mughira. And when he gave this response to Abu Jahar, Abu Jahar says, people's not going to be happy with you if this is what you're going to say to them. But you just said to me about the Quran? He said, let me think. And then what did he say? Innahu in hadha illa sihrun yu'thar. It's only the magic of the ancients. Let me explain that whole incident over there. Point is, they themselves knew this is the most clearest and the most pure of Arabic. And the most perfect of Arabic. But this is the, still the things that they used to say. It comes from this one, it's from a boy, it's just ancient. They used to make up these tales to, to try to suppress this da'wah as much as they can. Secondly, they also opposed the Qur'an and they used to bring up stories of the past, fables of the ancient. They themselves would do this to counter the Quran, to distract the people. Again, there's a man by the name of Nadr ibn al-Harith. Nadr ibn al-Harith. And this man was from the worst of the Quraysh. 
from the shayateen of the Quraysh. And he was of those who would harm Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And he was the, the, from the biggest enemies of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. This man went to a place called Al-Hira. And he learned in Al-Hira the stories of the Persians, the Persian kings. And about Rustum, who was also one of the Persian generals. He learned these fables and stories. And whenever Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam had a majlis, and he would remind people about Allah and warn them about the previous nations, what happened to the people of Nuh and Hud and Lut and Salih and so forth. After this gathering, as soon as the Prophet would leave, what would, would come? Nadr. Nadr would come and he would say, Ya Ma'ashara Quraysh, O Quraysh's, by Allah, I am better in speech than him. What I will say is better than what he has come with. But I can bring you is better. And what do you, what would you spoke, speak about? The stories that he learned. When he was in this place, Al-Hira. Al-Hira is in Iraq somewhere, close to Kufa. So he went there and he learned a lot about history, basically. And he comes back and he's, this is how he counters the reminders of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And he would speak about who? The Persian kings. What this one achieved and what this one did. And the history of Rustum, who was a general in the Persian army, famous, you know. This is what he would use to counter the Qur'an. So they made a claim and said, whatever the Prophet is saying is only asatirul awwaleen. It's ancient fables. But they would actually use fables from, from the past times to try to oppose Rasulullah and his da'wah. Ibn Hisham, he says that Allah also revealed ayat regarding this man, Nadr. Right? And there's a narration from Ibn Ishaq, from Ibn Abbas, the Sahabi, that he said, um, eight ayat, eight ayat were revealed regarding Nadr. Eight ayat were revealed regarding Nadr. And then he recited, إِذَا تُتْلَى آيَاتُنَا قَالَ When our verses are recited to him, he mentions and he says, أَسَاطِيرُ الْأَوَّلِينَ Ancient fables, the fables of the of the ancient, and whatever is mentioned of asatir in the Quran is mentioned regarding him. There are many ayat Allah speaks about the asatir. Many ayat. Ibn Abbas says whatever is mentioned of asatir of those fables is regarding who this man Nadr. Another ayat regarding Nadr is where Allah Subhanahu wa Taala says, "Wailu li kulli afakin athim." Woe to every sinful liar. يَسْمَعُ آيَاتِ اللَّهِ تُتْلَى عَلَيْهِ He hears the ayat of Allah recited to him. ثُمَّ يُصِيرُ مُسْتَكْبِرًا Then he persists arrogantly كَأَنْ لَمْ يَسْمَعَ As if he never heard it. As if he never heard it. فَبَشِّرُهُ بِعَذَابٍ أَلِيمٍ So give him glad tidings of a, of a painful torment, of a painful punishment. So these are at least some of the ayat was revealed regarding Nadr. Allah says clearly, they hear the ayat. It's recited to them. They know what it, the truth. But what do they do? They carry on out of arrogance. And arrogance means to reject the truth. Right? Batarul haqq. It's to reject the truth. Which means they knew. They knew very well this is the haqq. But because of their arrogance, because of the allegiance to their people and their tribes and so forth, and to their gods, it's arrogance that prevents them from accepting Islam, from giving in. From changing and accepting the truth. That's why Allah says, Yusiru Mustakbiran. He persisted arrogantly as if he never heard it. So, this was another tactic that they used, which is to use fables, to use stories to counter whatever the Prophet would say. You know, I got a better story. That's the basically the you know the idea. Someone tells you something interesting, I, I got something better to say. I have a juicier story to say. I have a better incident. You understand? To take the spotlight away. This was the tactic that this Nadur and others would use. Another method or tactic that they would use is was mocking and scoffing and belittling and lying. This was of course what they would do. So it was of course to deceive the people, right? To to stigma. 
player. He's a sahir. He's a, he's a magician. He's a liar. He's a sabi. He's a fortune teller. All of these things are used as a tactic to deceive the people. To deceive the people. And to weaken them. To weaken the iman and so forth. Um, and they would call him a madman as well. They would call him a, a madman as well. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَقَالُوا يَا أَيُّهَا الَّذِي نُزِّلَ عَلَيْهِ ذِكْرُ إِنَّكَ لَمَجْنُونَ And they would say, Oh, the one who received, the one who this ayah, this, this dhikr was revealed to, in the, in the Qur'an, the one who was, the Qur'an was revealed to, إِنَّكَ لَمَجْنُونَ You are majnoon, you are crazy, you are madman. They would say this to him. They, 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 they also attributed sihir unto him. And lies and poetry. And the disbelievers said about him, This is a sahir and a liar. He's a sahir, a magician, and he's a, a compulsive liar, a kathab. This is what they said about him. But rather, he's a shair, he's a poet. All of these names they used and they hurled against him. A poet, a madman, a soothsayer or a fortune teller, a liar, a magician. These were the, the, the types of abuse that he had to receive. And the types of things that they would throw around just to deceive people. Just to turn people away from him. Just to make people weary of him. This is the tactic that the Quraysh used. Ibn Ishaq, he, he mentions that when Rasulullah used to recite to them the Qur'an and call them to Allah, they would mock him. And they would, they would say, وَقَالُوا قُلُوبُنَا فِي أَكِنَّةٍ مِمَّا تَدْعُونَ إِلَيْهِ وَفِي آذَانِنَا وَقْرٍ They would say, in our hearts there is a covering. In our hearts there is a, a covering. That is, covers what, whatever you are calling us to. It covers us against whatever you are calling us to. And in our ears there is deafness. There's deafness. We don't hear what you're saying. It doesn't affect our heart. That's what they claimed. But obviously they heard. And obviously it hit them. hijab. And between us and you, there's a hijab, a partition. Fa'mal. So do what you want. Work. Innana amilun. We are also working. We are also doing things. This is how arrogant they were. And Allah Azza wa revealed ayat also regarding them and He said, وَإِذَا قَرَأْتَ الْقُرْآنَ جَعَلْنَا بَيْنَكَ وَبَيْنَ الَّذِينَ لَا يُؤْمِنُونَ بِالْآخِرَةِ حِجَابًا مَسْتُورًا When you recite the Qur'an, we place between you and them, and those who don't believe, in the Akhirah, a concealed partition. They don't see it, but there's a veil. There's a partition. وَجَعَلْنَا عَلَىٰ قُلُوبِهِمْ أَكِنَّةِ And we place over their hearts a covering, lest they understand. وَفِي آذَانِهِمْ وَقَرَىٰ And in their ears, deafness. وَإِذَا ذَكَرْتَ رَبَّكَ فِي الْقُرْآنِ وَحْدَهُ When you remember your Lord in the, and mention your Lord in the Qur'an and His oneness, you mention Him alone. وَلَّوْ عَلَىٰ أَدْبَارِهِمْ نُفُورًا They turn on their backs in aversion. They were averse to the Tawheed of Allah Azza wa Jal. When they heard this, they turned away. They refused to accept this. <coughs> and then Allah says, نَحْنُ أَعْلَمُ بِمَا يَسْتَمِعُونَ بِهِ إِذْ يَسْتَمِعُونَ إِلَيْكَ وَإِذْ هُمْ نَجْوَىٰ إِذْ يَقُولُ الظَّالِمُونَ إِن تَتَّبِعُونَ إِلَّا رَجُلًا مَسْحُورًا Allah says, we are more knowledgeable about what they have heard of it, of the Qur'an. For them to say, we don't hear this deafness in our ears. Allah says, what? We are more knowledgeable of what they hear of it. Allah knows, we, we know what you've heard. And, إِذْ يَسْتَمِعُونَ إِلَيْكَ When they listen to you, they claim they don't hear that there's deafness in their ears, but Allah says, we are more knowledgeable of what they actually hear of the Qur'an and when they listen to you. وَإِذْهُمْ najwa, And of when they are in the private conversations. And they say, إِذْ يَقُولُ الظَّالِمُونَ The wrongdoers, they say, إِن تَتَّبِعُونَ إِلَّا رَجُلًا مَسْحُورًا They say basically, you follow not a man that, except that he is afflicted by magic. This is what they would then say. In the private conversations, they would say, they're just following people who's afflicted by magic. He's following a man who's afflicted by, by magic. He's mashur. Magic has been done upon him. These are the things that they would say to the people. 
You understand? But Allah is clarifying the reality of the matter. So this was another tactic. It was to mock the Prophet ﷺ, to hurl abuse at him and to belie him and to accuse him of all of these things. It was a tactic that they used to try to destroy or to suppress this da'wah. Another tactic was compromise. They tried to compromise. They tried to say, look, let, let's come to a middle path, man. You know? That things didn't work. All of these tactics weren't working. Another tactic they used was, let's try to, you know, let's, get, let's, let's meet halfway. You come with your Islam, we have our Jahiliyyah, let's meet halfway. You understand? So you, you can do what you want to do, but you also leave us. And we will do what we want to do. We won't oppose you, don't oppose us. You know, you can do maybe do things that we'll do certain things you do. You can do certain things we do. Compromise. As Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, What do law tudhinu? Fayudhinun. What do law tudhinu? Fayudhinun. Allah says, They wish that you would soften in your position. They wish that you would soften in your position. That you're not so harsh against them. That you soften up. You compromise a little bit. Fayudhinun. So that they will also soften up. This is what they want. They want you to compromise and they will also compromise. But don't wage war against us. Don't talk against us. You work with us and we work with you. Understand? Um, <clears throat> Ibn Jarir al-Tabari, rahimahullah, he mentioned this tafsir, that the mushrikun, this is what they wanted. They hoped that Prophet would take it easy on them, upon their religions and so forth, and upon their gods that he would now rebuke. Remember, they would come out now, this is Da'wah Jahriyyah. So they would speak against him and say, these idols have no benefit. What can they do? Can they harm? Can they benefit? Can they do anything? Can they hear? Can they eat? They, they can't do anything. So leave our gods alone. This is what they wanted. And we will leave you to your worship. As Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَلَوْلَا أَن ثَبَّتْنَاكَ لَقَدْ كِتَّ تَوْرْكَنُوا إِلَيْهِمْ شَيْئًا قَلِيلًا Allah says, had it not been that we kept you firm, O Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. If it wasn't that we kept you firm, you would have almost inclined towards them a little. You would have almost inclined towards them a little. And this is so powerful because look at this, this offer. It's not a, they're not saying don't call to Islam. They're not saying um, you must follow our religion. They're saying just take it easy. Just, come, just tolerate us. You know, you have your opinion, we have our opinion. Let's just work together. Let's meet halfway. Compromise. You understand? You can believe what you want to believe, but we're going to believe what... But let's not fight. Leave us and our gods alone. Don't speak against us. You know? This tactic is a very, very catchy and a dangerous tactic. And you see this today with the Muslims. Today you find this is... The Muslims are actually upon this. We soft to the kuffar. We soft to, to people on shirk. We soft to so much acts of misguidance. So we've compromised and they will tolerate us now. But the moment you stand for your belief and you do not give in, that's when they oppose you as well. So that offer is still on the table. From the kuffar and from within the Muslim ummah as well. From the people of misguidance. What does Allah say? Had we not kept you firm, whose guidance is in the hand of Allah, you would have inclined towards them a little bit. Mm. And then Allah says, Idhan, Idhan. And he had that happened. Had you given in to them. Had you done that and compromised, we would have made you taste. Who's he talking to? To the Prophet. Had you done that, Allah says to the Prophet, we would have made you taste. Double the punishment in this world and double the punishment in the Akhirah. Had you sacrificed or had you compromised with him? So this Ibn Jarir explains this, this concept of compromising and he links it to the previous ayah that we mentioned of They want you to soften up towards them so that they can soften up as well. Um, Ibn Ishaq mentions a narration where Rasulullah was doing tawaf. And who comes to him? Again, it's these leaders of the Quraysh. They came to him many times. We've spoken about this previously as well. How they would come to him. They would go to Abu Talib. 
trying, you know. You can picture the seniors coming in, the elite guys, the chiefs coming in. We need to put a stop to this or we need to make a, some type of, some type, we need to, we are in charge, you know. So they came to him. Who comes to him? Al-Walid ibn al-Mughira. Al-Aswad ibn al-Muttalib. Right? Al-Aswad, the son of Muttalib. So this is his grand-uncle. Right? No, it's not his grand-uncle. But it's his family from his lineage. Al-Aswad. Al-Walid ibn al-Mughira. Umayya ibn Khalaf. Al-As ibn Wa'il. Right? We mention these names all the time because they were the, the, the big enemies of the Prophet and they were the leaders of the Quraysh. They came um, and they said, Ya Muhammad, you know, work with us. We worship what you worship and you worship what we worship. It's a compromise, you know. Let's, let's, let's meet halfway. We're willing to, to, to give up completely what we... We're going to meet you halfway. Um... So he says, they, this is the, look, listen to the reasoning. They say to him, if what you are worshipping is good, then we will also be getting some goodness. Right? Because we're also going to be doing what you're doing. So we'll get a share in that what you, what you are doing of goodness. And if we are doing good, then you will get the share of our goodness as well. You see the benefit of compromise. Whatever good we do, you're also going to start... Whatever you're doing, we're also going to start doing... So we're all going to be doing good. It's all good. So what did Allah Azza wa Jalla reveal? قُلْ يَا أَيُّ الْكَافِرُونَ Say, oh disbelievers, لَا أَعْبُدُ مَا تَعْبُدُونَ I don't worship that which you worship. وَلَا أَنْتُمْ عَبِدُونَ مَا أَعْبُدُ Nor do you worship that which I worship. وَلَا أَنَا عَبِدُ مَا عَبَدْتُمْ And I do not worship what you worship. And you do not worship that which I worship. To you is your religion and to me is my religion. End of the affair there and then. Done. That whole compromise is now over. There's no comp- if that ayah was revealed, it's over. Allah stops the affair there and then. Whatever you want to worship, you can worship. But I do not worship what you worship. And you clearly don't worship what I worship. You have your religion, I have my religion. There's no compromise. There's no meeting halfway. There's no deal that we're going to strike. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He settled the affair there and then. That whole deal that they came with, the negotiation that they came with, which was a joke in reality. Although it's a catchy issue, it can, it can catch people of God. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala cut it off there and then. And subhanAllah, it says, if Allah azza wa jalla is showing them the distance between what the Prophet Muhammad is upon and what they are upon. There is no mixing kufr and tawheed. Or kufr and belief, iman. There is no mixing shirk and tawheed. There is either tawheed and shirk on the other hand. But you can't go hand in hand. They acknowledged Allah, remember. These Qurayshis, they knew Allah existed. Many ayat Allah says, if you ask them who created them, they will say Allah. If you ask them who sent down the, the rains, they will say Allah. If you ask them who is in charge of the heavens and the earth, they will say Allah. But they worship the idols as well. They worship the idols as well. This is why they were upon shirk. They didn't worship Allah alone. But this doesn't fly. That's not the deen of Islam. The deen of Islam is you worship Allah alone. That's Tawheed. The two can't work together. You understand? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala by the revelation of this ayah is cutting off that type of negotiation or deal or compromise completely. And this reminds me of our situation today. We have people upon Tawheed and then we have people that's upon Shirk. They worship Allah, they believe in Allah but they also worship the dead. They also worship jinn, they also worship angels, they also worship various different things. They, make, they commit, commit acts of shirk. So where does the compromise now lie? This is a similar example. Hence, this is also a, a, a proof that there should be a, a separation between the people of Tawheed and the people of shirk. 
that they don't compromise with each other, they don't work with each other, they should be da'wah, yes, to each other, but otherwise it must be clear, the lines are drawn, you cannot be working with a person who's upon major shirk, and associating with him, or compromising with him, and so forth, Wallahu musta'an. Uh, and they take note of the ayah, the ayah is full of emphasis, emphasis, Allah is asserting this matter, with complete emphasis, and yaqeen, I don't worship, but you, you don't worship, but I, and I don't worship, but and you don't worship. Allah says it over and over to make the thing very clear. And then He says, "Lakum dinukum, waliyadin." Ibn Ishaq mentions another narration where Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam is sitting in the masjid, and the, a lot of the poor Sahaba is sitting with him, like Khabbab and Ammar and Abu Fukayha and Safwan ibn Umayyah and Suhaib and so forth. And the Quraysh come. And they scoff at them. Because he's sitting with a lot of poor people. You know, people who were slaves and people who were very poor. These are the people that he's sitting with in the masjid. And these people come with their wealth, their knowledge and their, their status. And they start to laugh at them and to scoff at them. And they say to each other, These are his sahaba. Look at these people. Is this your sahaba? Is this, you know, is this the, the Islam? Are you saying that Allah has given them hidayah? Allah has guided them to Islam and not us? They got the haq and not us? The arrogance, you see? As if to say, how can it be poor people that are guided but not us? Not the leaders, not the chiefs, not the wealthy. Had Muhammad come with goodness, we would have been the first to accept Islam. Because we are the people of status. This was how they reasoned. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed وَلَا تَطُرُدِ الَّذِينَ يَدْعُونَ رَبَّهُمْ بِالْغَدَاتِ وَلَا عَشِيِّ يُرِيدُونَ وَجْهَهِ Do not uh, throw away or expel those who call upon their Lord morning and evening seeking His countenance or His face. مَا عَلَيْكَ مِنْ حِسَابِهِمْ مِنْ شَيْءٍ You have nothing to do with their account, their reckoning. And they have nothing to do with your reckoning. Allah basically says to them, طيب, so, to put them in their place. I mean, who are you to speak about these people and to, to, to throw them out and, and decide, you know, who's worthy and, and so forth. Your reckon is not in their hands. Their reckon is not in your hands. And so forth. Right? So, some of the ayat that, were, that was basically revealed again in the, the earlier days. And this comes in a hadith as well in Muslim where this narration is mentioned where he sat with um, the Sahaba and so forth and this ayat will reveal the ayat, this, this hadith mentions Bilal mentions Ibn Mas'ud it mentions a man from Hudayl and so forth right and this ayah was revealed where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions this so we'll stop here inshallah ta'ala and we'll continue next week with some of the ways the Quraysh would punish the Muslims they then went on to to punishing them and we'll speak about the various Quraysh's who did this and some of the Sahaba and how they were punished, like Zubair ibn Awam, Zinira, Uthman ibn Affan, Bilal, and others, Mus'ab ibn Umair. And this will be what we talk about next week, inshaAllah ta'ala. Wa sallallahu ala nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik. Ashadu an la ilaha illa anta astaghfiruka wa atubu ilayk.